Progressive presents an interview with your upstairs neighbor. Hi, I'm Tia. The upstairs-downstairs neighbor dynamic is so special. We have our own language. Like when I scream at my mom on the phone, the people downstairs bang on the ceiling to show their support. The nighttime's the best time to rearrange furniture. I call it midnight feng shui. And if I sleep through my alarm in the morning, they bang on my door to wake me. So thoughtful. Progressive can't save you from your upstairs neighbor, but we can save you money when you bundle renters and auto insurance with us. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Hi, this is Eugenia Mitchell, host of At Home with the Mitchells. Thanks for listening to the following podcast on Public House Media. What's up, guys? Welcome to Your Life Matters podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Maria White, and I am a passionate pediatric nurse practitioner and fired up health and happiness coach here to deliver a message to you. This podcast is meant to provide a hope and a dream that fuels your soul to dream big and to dream bold and to inspire and empower you to live out your wildest freaking dreams and to grab a hold onto the unwavering truth that you were made for more. What's up, guys? Welcome to the Your Life Matters podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Mariah White, and I am so stinking excited. I know that so many incredible people listen to part one of such a real raw and authentic talk. And so many people were like, Mariah, I want the link. I want to be able to listen to the whole thing. And I was like, no, no, no. Like really, truly dive into this second part because part two really allows everyone to have a great discussion. You dive into relationships, you dive into the the stories and the background of everything going on in the role of someone being white and married to a black man or somebody being biracial or somebody being fully black. Like you find so many powerful moments within the second part. And I'm so excited that you guys were leaning in on this. So many people reached out and had questions and I just wanted you guys to feel where we were coming from. I wanted you to feel how it felt and I wanted you to be able to learn, unlearn, grow, be better, and do better. And then another little plug, if you are ever in a place where you are wanting some more mentorship, some guidance, some love, some community and support, I need you to reach out to me at Dr. Fit White on Instagram or head over to borntoshinewellness.com where you can find out all the things that I do, including one-on-one mentorship. If you are looking to start your own podcast or build your brand or figure out a way for you to really strive to be the best version of you. I am here. I'm your person. I'm your girl. And I'm so grateful for those of you who continue to join me. And genuinely, for those of you who continue to support me and Bianca and my family during this time, I'm so grateful, so honored. And a lot of people have been reaching out like, how can we support you in a black owned business and and all of the things? And how can we support you in your podcast? The biggest thing is leave a rating, leave a review, share the podcast with someone reach out to me about my business, reach out to me of how you can support us during this time. I love you guys so much. I never ask for anything other than you sharing this because I really believe that the Your Life Matters podcast is something special. And the only way that we can reach more lives is if we share it with more lives. So I'm on a mission to help a lot of human beings be their best self. And I am so excited that right now you get to dive into part two. So check it out. Reach out to me. I'm always here. I would like to give the floor to Tori. She is a social worker and child therapist for ages zero to five. She is currently getting her master's degree and she's going to help the parents. So for those of you who are parents, I ask you to have your notebooks open. Um, Lee as a special education teacher and me as a pediatrician, we will all be giving you tips and ideas in order to help your kids and you as a family navigate this. So uh, Tori, please go ahead and take it away. Thank you. I'm super excited. I'm kind of nervous, but this is something I'm extremely passionate about um, in the sense of every day I talk about family systems, family dynamics, 
And the conversation I'm going to have with you guys today is mainly what I talk to my parents about every single day. Um, so I want to start it with, um, I'm not done with my master's. I just saw that comment. I will be done with my master's in like six months. So I'm still in my program, um, but I've done my internships and everything. So I'm super excited. But the first thing I wanted to open it up with is um, today should make you uncomfortable. We know as body coaches, we hear all the time that, um, sorry, I was trying to change that, that you have to get outside your comfort zone to in order for change to happen, right? A lot of us are uncomfortable after we're hearing these stories. A lot of us are like, okay, we need to do something. What should we do next? Um, so just being open and hearing these stories is super powerful. And I've had a lot of you reach out to me about, you know, what do I say to my kids? You want a tangible, you want a script. I can't give you that. I can't tell you what to say to your kids. I don't know your standpoint on it. I don't know your beliefs on it. I don't know what conversations you've had and haven't had. I can't give you a script. But I am going to give you um, a little bit of like development, a little bit of when, why, should, how types of things, and hope that you can take what information, the stories that you're hearing, the things that I'm going to give you, and then go and implement that so that you can help your kids understand. Um, but I want to start with the should. Should you have the conversation with your kids? And the answer is absolutely. Because the second that you're silent is reinforcing racism. Because kids are going to draw to conclusions. Kids are extremely smart no matter what you want to say. No, they are, I like to tell my parents, think about it as um, kids have these gray clouds in their heads all the time with question marks. If they do not know the answer to that question, they're going to draw their own conclusion and come with their own answer. They're going to figure out what to say, how to answer that question without them knowing it. Children are experiencing racism, racism every single day without us knowing it. At school, on sporting events, Mariah and Alex shared their experience growing up. They're experiencing it every day. So if we're not having those conversations, regardless of what race you are, they're going to experience it differently and you need to be having those conversations. Um, I wanted to go a little bit into development, but I'm not going to go super deep. But when a child is born, obviously, zero days, zero months, they, they're not, they don't know the difference. But by three months old, they are because they're identifying familiar faces of their caregivers. They are recognizing who's caring for them, who's around them, and who they're exposed to. So at as young as three months old, this is where you should be having exposure. I come from a town of 200 people with only white people in there. I had no experience. I had no exposure. But what can you do in those moments? There's dolls. Think about all my white girls on here. What were all your dolls? What were all your Barbie dolls? Mine were all white Barbie dolls with blonde hair. On the flip side of it, Mariah and I were having this conversation the other day. All of Alicia's dolls are black. All of Alicia's dolls are of brown skin, something of that aspect. Having dolls that are more diverse, having books, having movies around and allowing them to see that. But the biggest thing I think as well is just the exposure and the culture. If you live in a small town where you have to, don't have to stay in this box, but you're in this box, allowing your kids to get outside of that box, taking a vacation, seeing other exposure, seeing other cultures and allowing your kids to experience that because they learn from experience. They learn from exposure. There's a ton of books out there on Amazon. There's a ton of movies out there. There's a ton of dolls out there. So think about the toys, the exposure, the culture, and just allowing your kids to experience other things. And then fast forward to like three years old. Three years old is when they start like picking, um, picking and choosing who they're going to play with. So they're probably not having those conversations yet. They're probably saying things, but not as much. Um, but then five years old is when you definitely need to be having those conversations because they're having those conversations. They're having the racist comments because kids are a direct mirror of their parents. They're going to school, seeing and doing what their parents are doing, and that's how they're going to do it. And that's like when kindergarten happens. That's when kids are experiencing all of that. So having that conversation is definitely needed, but allowing your kids to have that exposure and experience. Um, and then when. I wanted to answer when. At first, you have to be comfortable with this conversation yourself. Um, if this conversation today is making you uncomfortable, that means that you need to grow a little bit more. That means you need to learn a little bit more because you need to have, at three months, it's about the exposure, right? But at three years old and five years old, kids are going to ask you questions. You need to be asking your kids open-ended questions. What have they experienced? What do they know? What do they believe? Because you need to navigate that conversation one way or the other. If they have... Um, 
a belief that you don't agree with, that's where you need to correct them. But you have to be confident in your stance, in your beliefs, and comfortable in the conversation so that you can have that conversation as well. Um, at about three years old, that's when I would start veering the um, conversations more about values. So I like to tell my parents, you know, when you go to your child's first grade uh, parent-teacher conferences, what are the values you want them to say that how they're acting in school? A lot of going to say kind, respectful, friendly. Some people I, I've had my parents say like smart, but whatever values. And that's where I would tie your directions to. Tie your conversations around, okay, kindness, what does kindness mean? You're kind to everyone no matter their skin color. But in the same sense, kindness of, you know, it's out of respect to stick up for your friends and having those conversations about your morals, having those conversations tied in with um, your beliefs. And then also having the conversation as we do see color. That's probably the biggest thing Ryan and I am talking about is stop with the whole, we don't see color. We're treating everybody the same. We do see color. And your child needs to know that it's okay to be friends with a black girl. It's okay to be friends with a white girl. It's not okay to treat her different because of that. And we need to address that with our kids as well. And they need to know that. Um, I think I'm hitting on everything. I wanted to end it with um, proactive versus reactive. So as a white human, I don't have to have proactive conversations with, well, my kids I will because my kids are going to be uh, mixed. But as white humans, we don't have to have those conversations prior to um, our kids going to school because we don't think about it. But um, a black mom has a conversation with her kids about, you know, being around white kids, what pot potentially could happen, being pulled over by a cop, be having an interaction with a cop, they have those conversations. But going forward, we can only be reactive for a lot of us now, but we could be proactive. We need to have those conversations and be clear and have our kids understand and have those conversations today. I don't know if you want to open it up to questions, but I can't provide you guys with this script, but just having a better understanding of where you stand and that the conversation is definitely important. Yeah, do me a favor, everyone. Um, drop, like, write down your questions for me, and then at the end, we'll open it up. And if you need to directly ask a question to Tori, um, please, please do so at that time, um, just so that we can re be respectful of everyone's time and keep it moving. Um, thank you, Tori, so much for sharing that as a social work standpoint and just speaking to the therapy aspect and helping parents. Um, as a pediatrician, I am going to just kind of touch on the same way that a lot of parents come into my office and ask, well, when should I be expecting crawling? When should I be expecting walking? When should I introduce foods? What types of foods? How do I prevent choking? All of these are what we call anticipatory guidance questions. Your pediatrician, and if you do not have a pediatrician that ask these tough questions. I want you to challenge your pediatrician because at the end of the day, we are all humans. Um, but I want you to ask the question of when should I be having these conversations? When should I be talking to my child? Because every child is different, right? Like I've seen some moms say, well, my kid's autistic. And some parents say, well, I have a Down syndrome ch child. Obviously things are very different for each and every single one of the children. But the whole point and premise is having the difficult conversation. I want you to understand that as, and I can only speak for America, my Canadians in UK and France, I love you guys, but I can only speak here. Um, what we go against or go by is the American Academy of Pediatrics. And the American Academy of Pediatrics for about seven years now has targeted social, social determinants and racism as a goal. So we have goals every year. We had this Healthy People 2020 that we needed to go towards. One of the biggest thing is, and I'm not going to read the whole quote for you, but it's dismantle ra racism. Dismantle it. Abolish it. Get rid of it. And people, and as a person who's passionate about children, we need to take care of our children first, because if you think about it, they are the future generations that's going to help continue to allow this racism talk to become dismantled. So when you're thinking about your child or other children, maybe let's just say children on your block, all of us were just directly impacted by COVID-19, right? Did you ever in your mind think about potentially white or black, the disparities within that household? Did you think to say, can they afford Wi-Fi? Are they getting on Zoom meetings? 
Do they even own a laptop? These are questions you have to ask. Now go a step further. We talk about COVID-19 directly impacting our African-American community. Why? They are at a higher risk of high blood pressure, diabetes, heart disease. Why? Because they don't have the resources and metabolically, like that's, that's the makeup of African-Americans. So I'm not going to discredit that. But are we evaluating that every time, and I'm going to speak to coaches, every time you interact or send an invite with a black woman or black male, and they say, hey, I can't afford it, or hey, I'm a single mom, or hey, it's just not a good fit. I want you to understand that now more than ever, they need us. Now more than ever, they need our help, not just to help them with their superfoods and immunity and all these things, but to reduce high blood pressure and hypertension, to reduce the rates of diabetes that are skyrocketing across the country in African-American communities. This is the time to speak. So when you're sitting there and you're thinking about kids, I saw one, um, Kim Fitzpatrick did an amazing post, an amazing post. She said, oh, I'm gonna cry. She said, mamas, I'm gonna teach my babies to love your babies. And as a mom, I was like, oh, Kim, thank you. But now I'm gonna take it a step further. When you're thinking and you're trying to teach your children, your babies to love my At T-Mobile, we believe in putting people first by treating them right. So we're upping the benefits without upping the price. Introducing Magenta Max, now with unlimited premium data that can't slow down based on how much smartphone data you use. Plus get Netflix on us. Right now, pay zero cost to switch. And bring your phone, we'll pay it off up to 650 bucks, only at T-Mobile. Activate up to 4K or video streams at 480p, up to 40 gigs high-speed tethering, $650 via virtual prepaid card, allow 15 days, Simmons support charges waived, receive Netflix standard with two lines. Babies, I want your kids to now understand that they need to look around their classroom. And then if their classroom looks white, they're like, wait, I know I had a couple of my black peers. I had a couple of black friends. Why aren't they on? Now I need you to ask this question. Do they have laptops? Do they have the ability to get onto Wi-Fi? Do they have the ability to have the resources that you have within your home? Now, I'm not asking you to go out and be a saint or a martyr and help every black person that you can come into contact with. That's not what I'm saying. That's not what people want in general. But I want you to open your eyes and ask those tough questions. I want you to see that. And then as pediatricians, I want to, I, like you can either raise your hand or drop it in the chat. As moms, I want you to think back to a time where your pediatrician or nurse practitioner, whoever you see, physician's assistant, all of us unanimously as healthcare professionals should be asking questions. We should be asking, do you have food in your fridge? Do you have clothes for your children? Do your, does your child have a bed? Do you have a car to get to and from the places that you need to get to and from from? Now I'm gonna ask, is there, any is there any parent that pediatricians has never asked that question? And then if you're like, man, I don't think my pediatrician ever asked that question. Now I want you to look down at your skin color and see why. That might be why, I can't speak for everyone, but it might be why. So I brought to the table within my previous practice and I said, there's a question <laughs> that you have to literally bypass in order to continue charting in your notes that pops up as a social determinant survey. My dissertation was on unintentional childhood injuries and my passion is truly social determinants such as racism. So I sat there and tried to execute, hey, every single healthcare provider needs to be asking, do you have food? Do you have clothes? Do you have access to these things? When it was addressed in a closed forum, um, it was said, I don't want to have that open conversation because I don't have the resources to help them. So then I asked a little bit deeper and I went a step further. I said, why? Well, we don't have a social worker on campus and we don't have these resources to be able to help them. So I already know if I ask the question, they're going to tell me that they don't have X, Y, and Z and I don't know how to help them. So then what happened? Every white or black or Mexican or person of color that ever was seen as homeless, seen as some type of social determinant where they were unable to give their child the resources that they need. You know who they saw? Me. You know who the, my white colleagues would send them to? 
me. I am not like, I'm not a specialist in this, but they would refer them and transfer them over to be my patients. Why? Because in a 10 minute appointment, I would take 20 minutes to make sure that they were okay. Now that's not me tooting my own horn. That's what I'm saying that every healthcare provider needs to be doing. So if your healthcare provider has never asked that question or isn't talking to you about those tough things or has never asked you, do you have food in your fridge? That's not a question that you should be like, do you really think I can't afford food in my fridge? No, it should be. Thank you for asking that question. I do have food in my fridge. Thank you for asking every single person that comes into this office that question because everyone might not have food in their fridge. So I want you to think about that in terms of it and then kind of to end and segue to Lee and piggyback off of what Tori said. As a black woman raising two black beautiful girls, I do not have the privilege, oh, what the privilege would feel like. I do not have the privilege to turn off the news, turn off the TV and not have this conversation. These are conversations that I have to have regardless. My daughter is one, 13 months old. Obviously, like Tori just said, at three months, they start to distinguish who their caregivers are. She's around a lot of different diverse people. So she has that. But Alicia, my bonus daughter, is five. Is that a conversation that we have to proactively have? Absolutely. Can I share that you first? Yeah. Um, I wanted to ask permission first. So, four, so at four years of age, Alicia was at her school. And I'm just going to give the cliff notes of it. They were talking about Easter. Easter was coming up. And one of her white peers said to her, and I don't quote this, but why are you getting excited? The Easter bunny doesn't come to brown people's houses. Alicia came home and didn't have that open conversation because she just was like, Alicia doesn't see color, but she, like she sees color, but she doesn't understand it, right? At four years old, it's like, okay, I don't really get it, but it was, well, mommy, does the Easter Bunny come to brown people's houses? And then that opens up conversation, right? Now I'm gonna ask you, are you going to have to have those difficult conversations with your children if they're white? Probably not, but should you? Yes. Should you expose them to good resources? Absolutely. Should you have a diverse group of dolls in your collection? Absolutely. Should you have black and brown and all the different colors? Yes. And then in a different light, um, there's some really great resources that I'll share and it'll kind of circulate, but you should be asking them, especially if you have, this isn't so much toddlers and preschool age, but if you have adolescents or especially teenagers, for my moms who have teenagers, you should, I encourage you to show the video of George Floyd. I encourage you to get on Netflix and use the resources and have open dialogue while it's happening see what their, their stance is. Because at the end of the day, just like Tori said, I can't tell you how to have a conversation. I can't give you a script. But the unanimous thing that I want you, the consensus that I want you to have within your house is what is your mission statement as a family? If it's faith-based, great. God loves everyone. God loves all children. If it's not faith-based, we believe in kindness and fairness and equal opportunity and health equality. And everyone is everyone and everyone is a human and we treat humans the way that they deserve to be treated. The golden rule, right? That's your mission statement. And then from your mission statement and value as a family, then go down and allow your kids to answer the question, ask the question. One of the things that Tori shared with me as we were talking about this is every child walks around with those little um, like thought bubbles, right? With question marks all the time. Are you going to be the one that is helping to answer the question or are you just going to sit back and be silent? Because at the end of the day, those questions will be answered, but you won't be able to dictate the narrative of that and stand for the value and mission of what your family stands for. All right, I'm gonna hand it over to Lee. Okay, thank you. Mm -hmm. um, so I am a special education teacher, um, mild to moderate disabilities. I'm in uh, nine through 12. Um, before that, I taught English for two years. And then before that, I even taught English and um, social studies classes. I have always taught in Title I urban areas. I do not live in those areas. I, I don't know who's from where, but basically I was living in the Northeast in this place called Scottsdale, 
where it's golf courses and rainbows all the time. I had job offers out there, but I chose instead to drive 45 minutes to an hour to South Phoenix, where my schools were predominantly black and brown. Um, going into the English field, um, it was frustrating because I would have to ask permission to teach um, using um, African-American history um, texts to my kids. Um, I would try to teach my kids that we can have more than one month to celebrate our history um, and then getting some a little bit of pushback from administration, but at the end of the day, having it all uh, work out. Um, and I, um, as I was teaching English, I was working on my master's degree moving to SPED because um, those of you who are teachers, especially my SPED teachers, <laughs> you don't do it for the money, okay? You do it because you're passionate about being a voice for the voiceless, um, teaching kids how to advocate for themselves. Um, so with that being said, I work very hard to educate your kids from the time they enter that door to the time they go home. Um, what's huge is, is that um, it has to be a collaboration with parents and teachers. It has to be collaboration with parents, community, the entire school. Um, I'm bringing this up because as we talk about the difference between what um, people with, with children of color, what we have to teach our kids versus white families, um, some of you might think, well, this doesn't really affect my kids. I don't want to expose them to this. And, and that's great that you have that choice to turn a blind eye. But if we're going back to my childhood growing up, that racism was taught, even if it was, even if it was to stay quiet. Um, if our kids aren't exposed to the education of race, race relations, um, people with differences, because from a special education standpoint, I'm going to have to, I mean, COVID hit, but we were talking about getting involved in different special education, um, community outreach uh, programs and stuff like that so that our children can be exposed to other people with disabilities. I don't want it to be like, a, oh, mommy, look at that. Oh, why does that person look like that? And the same thing happens as, as black people where little white kids see a black man coming and they're like, oh my God, oh my God, it's scary. So my request as, um, as an educator is for you guys to please join in with helping us educate, not just the stuff that is actually in the curriculum that is in the content that's going to be on the SATs, but let's help in socializing our students, our kids with people that in situations that do not look like them. Um, Community-wise, as I work in, um, in, in Title I urban areas, which means that, okay, we're talking about everyone qualifies for free reduced lunches. Um, I have kids that are homeless that come to school. The only time they get to eat is when they come to school. I got kids that um, they have to drop off their siblings because either mom's working several jobs or she's on the couch knocked out because she's a crackhead. Um, this is a situation where I've given my clothing to my students. And um, I got kids, we had a football team that was going for state. And um, we had a basketball team that was about to go for a state championship. And um, twice I've had kids come in after a practice meeting crying. Well, miss, they won't give us a chance. Well, what happened? Well, we had home field advantage, but nobody would come to our school to play. So instead of forfeiting, we were forced to go up north to their school. And what I'm saying this for is because if you live in an area that is privileged, I'm not asking you to be the great white hope. But what I am saying is, is that if you're looking around and you're noticing the difference, Let's talk about maybe a fair share. I shouldn't have to, these people shouldn't have to want to, if it's about athletics, to move their kid to an entirely different district so that they have a fair shot at, at their education or playing sports. It's time to kind of share the wealth and share the education. If you find that we've literally had a white team say to us, 
well, we don't want to come to your school because we fear for our lives. You guys can't come to South Phoenix for a basketball game at four o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday. And instead of the league forfeiting the game because they refused to come, instead of finding a neutral spot with home court advantage again, we were forced to go there. The kids start a fight on the court. Hundreds of white people come out of the stands and attack my kids. The cops are called and who do you think is getting detained at the school? My black babies. This is real. And the thing is, is that racism will talk. Now, maybe some of those kids weren't saying anything. Maybe some of those parents didn't do anything, but everybody just kind of went home. And so please start to educate your kids. Please don't dangerously expose them to everybody's differences and everybody's suffering. But at the end of the day, they don't know what they don't know. Just like right now, you don't know what you don't know. And in order for us to stop this cycle of ignorance, and I don't mean that in, in a negative way, Literally, you just don't know what you don't know. Kids need to know now because they are the next generation of either knowing or not knowing. So that's, that's my spiel from an educational standpoint. No, that's amazing. Thank you so much, Lee. Um, so I hope that was helpful, parents, in helping you. Um, for those of you who are parents, non-parents, helping to raise other children, children in general just need this positive feedback and just this awareness. So I appreciate you. Again, any questions specifically towards this topic of parenting, please write it down and then we'll ask uh, for the Q&A. Um, next, I'd like to open the floor to Dr. Watson and Dr. Scroggins to have a conversation as a black woman coming to Hampton and a white Canadian coming to Hampton. Uh, Virginia bravely talked about um, her experience with that, but also how uncomfortable she must have felt going to a predominantly black school a historical black college, and then Alex being on the receiving end. Uh, I know some of you guys follow all three of us or one or two of us on social media. You see how close we are. And I just want them to talk about how their friendship kind of blossomed, came together, but also their perceptions of both of those two women being in a school like that. So uh, Alex, if you want to go first, being the historical black woman at the college and then Jen can kind of chime in and you guys can kind of banter uh talk back and forth yeah so um so for me my parents went to an hbcu historically black college and university uh like i said they're first generation so i grew up you know colleges have homecomings and i remember growing up and even though I lived in an area where it was mostly white people. The only time I got to be around a lot of black people was to go see my cousins who lived in New York still. I loved. With Metro by T-Mobile, your hard-earned money goes further. This tax season, there's zero fees to switch. Enjoy Metro's lowest price. Just 25 bucks a line for four lines. Plus get four free Samsung Galaxy phones when you switch. Now that's the best deal in wireless. Metro by T-Mobile, empowering you to rule your day. All lines lose promo rate if any deactivates. No fees on select phones. Limit one per line with eligible port. Excludes sales tax. Limited time offer. Additional terms apply. See MetroByTMobile.com. Every single fall, going to A&T, to my parents' college, and just getting to see all the diversity, getting to see my parents, like, interacting with all these Black people who I don't really get to see when I'm at home, and they're working in their workplace. So I knew when I got older, I really wanted to have that experience because it just seemed so uplifting. Everyone accepted you. There was no weirdness. It was just so, it just felt so um, encouraging for you to just be who you are. And so I, like I said, you guys, I got accepted to a ton of schools. Like my dad is the type of person who's like, have tons of options. So I applied to 11 schools, got into every single one of them, got full rides to many of them. But I chose the one that was an HBCU. And the popular belief is, oh, like that was home. Like when you got there, you felt like completely accepted and, and you didn't have any issue assimilating to it. But the reality is, like I said, I grew up at predominantly white schools. So it may be popular belief that, oh, you went to an HBCU, like, oh, you felt comfortable. No, I didn't. I actually didn't because I had zero experience being with other people who were educated and looked like me. Most of the people who I had been in contact with, a lot of my cousins who live in like the, the inner city of different places, 
they're not as educated as me. They didn't have the opportunities I had. Thank God I had the parents that I had who were college educated. So when I got to Hampton, I didn't necessarily feel like home. I had to assimilate to a completely new culture than what I had grown up around. So when I first met Virginia, low key, I felt more comfortable around her and like, oh my God, like another white girl. Like you're, I, I get you. Like, I, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's not, it's not what you think. So, um, like I said, that's why it, it's, it's all in perception and like how you grew up and you really don't know people and you don't know the type of environments that they've grown up in and why they're relating to you the way you are, why you feel towards me, this, this endearment, because I've, I know how to establish that with people. I can connect with people from all different places because I've lived a lot of different places. Um, so when I did meet Virginia, we had in common that we played sports growing up. She was tall. And like I said, like she was a white girl. I knew how to deal with white girls. So <laughs> yeah, that was my experience when I first met Jen. Oh, it's so funny. And this was um, 11 years ago. So it's, it's funny trying to recall, like, cause I just, some things I don't really remember, but so I didn't even know what an HBCU was to be completely honest. Um, I got the offer and the volleyball coach, I got a volleyball scholarship just to let you guys know. And he offered for us to come visit. Um, and that was really eye opening actually when I came to visit. Um, we went around the campus with the coach and everyone was so welcoming. And I don't know if it was because I was with the coach, they knew I was on a visit. I have no idea. Either way, it impressed us to the nines and everyone was opening the door saying hello hi miss how are you and being from canada like i mean people say hello but they don't really say hello they do not go out of their way to make you feel like that so it was just like wow this is gonna be great like everyone's so nice and so that was my experience on the visit which was awesome i'm glad that i got to go visit and i was like okay i'm gonna go and um, luckily our, I was on a volleyball team, so I knew I was going to be fine because I was already par a part of a team growing up. I moved multiple times. I moved in the 10th grade and the school was nine to 12. So in the ninth grade, everybody makes their friends, right? 10th grade, you're the new kid. So I already got an experience of eating my lunch in the bathroom by myself. And I feel like having that experience, I was like, it's okay. Like, I know I'll make friends. It'll be all right. And immediately our volleyball team was, they're my friends right away. And we went to school a month earlier. And so I was, I was close with all of them and they were from all over. We had people from the U S Canada, Bulgaria, Serbia, Puerto Rico, Colombia, like literally we were like the international volleyball team. So it was great to have that right away. Um, but in our dorms, we're at different, um, you know, freshman, sophomore, whatever. So we're split up. So in the dorms, it's a different experience. And there were times that I did feel uncomfortable and I just didn't really know how to navigate, but I'm the type of person that's just going to shut up and just like figure it out, be quiet because I don't want to offend anyone. So that's what I did. And I listened and learned so much. And like Alex said, a lot of people were going out of their way to be friends with me and they would share that, you know, my school was all white, like, I want to be friends with you and they would go out of their way to make me feel comfortable. So that was nice to have. And that's how I became friends. Alex and I were like, a couple doors down in our dorm. And that's one thing that I've tried to take with me going forward is because I do remember during those six years, every day, in a point in my day, I felt uncomfortable like it it just is what it is um but going forward in situations when i see people of different ethnicities i just try and be nice just try and smile just say hello just be polite because if you say nothing they may assume that you don't like them and that may not be the case but i need you guys to go out of your way to be outwardly positive and smile and make them feel welcomed and another, this is the last thing I'm gonna to touch on because we were talking about um, black history. I had no idea. They do not teach any of that in Canada. Um, I think, I, I knew about slavery, but I had no idea the extent. So I'm the only white person in black history class. And it was, it was in detail. I'm sure that it was all the way to the nines, correct? Watching videos that were horrific. And I'm sitting there like, I understand why a lot of black people do not like white people. 
they probably hate me. And sitting in that class, I was just like, whoa, like it was, it was a crazy experience, but opened my eyes to understand when people have issues talking to people of different races, not saying that it's okay, but I can understand, I can be empathetic why they may not like talking to other races and they may want to stay within their race and not talk to other people. And luckily in that situation, our professor was so kind and I, I feel like he probably felt me being uncomfortable and he, the whole time I was at Hampton, he always would say, hello, Virginia, how are you? Uh, nice to see you, hope you're doing well. And so I knew I was comfortable there, but it was just really eye-opening. And I'm glad that right now with everything going on, um, these are things that I've known because I was in that class. Everyone hasn't had that experience and I'm not about to make these videos. I don't, ha I don't have the knowledge, but I've been sharing because they are powerful and I think people need to know black history and I have no idea why they don't go in depth and mesh it all together. And that's my hope going forward that, you know, eventually they can make history, history period and put it all intertwined. And that was powerful. Alex, that was powerful. Thank you so much. So you just heard two very different women, right? One black, one white Canadian and saying both of them were very uncomfortable, but they went in, sorry, sometimes. They went into a very <clears throat> uncomfortable situation and found comfort within that right? Alex expressed like, hey, I felt comfortable. She was a white girl. Like, let's do this. And Jen's like, okay, my team's black and from all these other places. And we just came together in solidarity. So I love that. Um, Jen, I know that Daniela had to hop off. Is there anything that you wanted to add as a white Canadian um, and just kind of moving forward with that? I would just say that, like, obviously I wasn't exposed very much, but just because you're not exposed doesn't mean it's not a problem. And it's it doesn't mean that you can just hide. If you're a part of Team Beachbody, guys, there are people of color and you need to do your research, listen, learn, and really take the time to understand because if you don't, there may be a situation that you don't know how to react or you have no idea. And that's, that's unfortunate. And this is, and I hate the circumstances that everything is happening and coming to light and different conversations are coming up, but I think it's so powerful. So thank you for being on the call. That's the first step in the right direction. And just take these tips and apply them to your everyday life. Perfect, Jen, thank you. Um, so as many of you guys know, we just launched in France, especially. I know there's a lot of different entrepreneurs on here, but Beachbody just launched in France. Um, we've already been in Canada, obviously, and we've been in the United Kingdom. Um, I wanted Lee to be able to touch on her experiences playing basketball and exposure to racism. France was one of the places that she did play. Um, so I'm just gonna let her kind of shine a light on cultures and countries of, that have experienced racism. Okay. So I, I played overseas for a good 11 years. Um, my first year was in Tel Aviv, Israel. After that, I played in a couple of cities in Turkey. Then I played in Italy for several years. And then um, my last year, I played in Lyon, France. Um, each country had its own thing when it came to black people, but it is, it's, it's not quite the same as it is here in the United States, but you still get it. Um, I think the biggest thing was um, they look at you and you get a pass when you're one, an American, and two, especially if you are an athlete. So there would be other, um, especially in France, um, and, and even in Italy and Turkey, when you have um, people coming in literally from Africa, they're viewed as these dirty, um, crime-ridden people where they would say, oh, oh, you're an American, oh, you're an athlete, oh, okay, that's different. Um, I remember being in uh, Italy and I'm reading the newspaper and I'm finally speaking Italian at this point, and I'm like, what? Every time they're talking about me and my American teammate, they said, when the colored player enters the floor, when the colored player left the floor, when the colored player did this. So I go to the vice president of my team and I'm like, why does the newspaper keep calling us colored? He said, well, because that's what you are. Black people are colored. 
I said, excuse me, sir, but that's extremely offensive. Can you please tell them to stop addressing us as that? He said, oh, Lee, you're being too sensitive. This isn't like America. We don't have the slaves. It's okay. You're colored. I'm not colored. You're colored. And I sat there and I'm trying not to get angry with him because this is a teachable moment. Unfortunately, nothing was ever taught because he just was like, this, this is what it is. Deal with it. And, um, you know, it, it, it was just, it's, 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 it's disheartening. Um, it's frustrating. I always stuck out as a sore, as a sore thumb. Um, my other teammates always did. They always knew who we were, but again, we got a pass because we were black American athletes. And it just goes back to my point that, you know, it doesn't really matter where you go. It's like, we have to have that extra something in order to be respected. Okay. Like when I, I, you know, I look at Mariah and I, and, and you know, it's like, now I want to get my doctorate cause I'm still trying to get that respect. When I sit in an, an administrative office that serves predominantly black communities and I never really, people don't ask me anything unless an irate uh, black parent calls. Oh, Miss Lee, can you handle this one? So um, across the globe, this is an issue. Um, so, you know, it's not just here. So it's not surprising for me to see other countries being supportive because this, this, this is a global, this is a global thing. Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I just wanted you guys to have the exposure that it's not just a U.S. issue. It is a everywhere issue. It's a world issue. So now I'm going to kind of help uh, some of my friends who say, well, I don't really understand because I have black friends or my fiance or husband is black. So I'm going to open up the floor to Tori and Virginia, who are in an uh, inter-multiracial couple, um, and they're going to touch on how it can be difficult, but how together they can learn and unlearn. And then later, me and Lee are going to go into how to raise biracial children from that, that relationship. So Jen, Tori, please go ahead and unmute yourself. I feel like Virginia and I were talking about this. I think we're kind of on the same page. So maybe we could kind of like bounce off each other. But I think the biggest thing and the biggest takeaway for me is allowing to see his stance, allowing to hear his perspective and allowing him to speak on the experiences that he has experienced. Um, I feel like I just said experience like six times. But until we were able to sit down and have that conversation, I didn't know a lot of the things that I pushed under the rug through the last six years of our relationship. I hear how it was to him and all the things that he's been through that I didn't do anything about, that I did shove under the rug and didn't think anything of it and made that excuse and justified those behaviors. And then I think about like our future, like that's not, not okay. But at the same stance, like if I can't do that now, how do I expect to do that for my future children? How do I expect to do that? Um, for the people that I love, like Mariah and her girls, like I can't, if I'm not willing to do it for him in the situations now, I can't do it moving forward and just allowing to hear that stance of his side of it so that I could fully understand. Yeah. And we talked and that was our similar, um, opinion. And then too, also, you know, something that I'm not proud of myself for doing in the past is questioning or trying to say the other perspective like no they didn't mean that you know that's not where they're coming from in those situations you can never relate you're never that person you just need to sit and listen and ask you know what can I do to help or how can we make this better together don't ever question their feelings and that's something that in the past I have done and now especially I'm like that was wrong and um so going forward, that's something that I want to do better. And then also just know that this is a conversation that's going to come up. It's not like, hey, we're on this call. It's never, we're never going to talk about it again. My husband and I have had plenty issues, conversations. I won't go into details, but it comes up a lot. And you may think, you know, you see us together. We're great. Yeah, we're great. But when you get thrown into different situations, it gets harder. So just be willing to listen and learn from one another and just be open to continuing to try and grow and do your best. I wanted to add one more other thing though, is 
the one thing that I did talk to John about is like bringing those things up, like apparent to me, like bring them up. Like I'm being open to it so that he can explain it, especially a lot of the times and a lot of the situations we've been talking about have been about our loved ones, my family, his family, my friends, his friends. Um, and sometimes those conversations could feel uncomfortable in the sense of like, well, I don't want to hurt your feelings because that's your fill in the blank. I don't want to hurt your feelings of whatever, but I applaud him for allowing for bringing that to my attention so that I, cause I didn't fully understand because of a lack of experience, a lack of not willing to see the other side of it. So having that conversation of like, bring that to my attention and being open to hear his side of it, because it is clearly happening now that we've had that conversation. And last thing, sometimes I have not been aware like it's unfortunate that I can't pick it out or pick up on it on on him feeling uncomfortable or even one of my friends feeling uncomfortable. So I encourage people on the other side too to express. And I know, you know, you may not get a great response, but and it's not an excuse and I wish that I could pick up more, but I am thankful every time somebody brings it to my attention so that the next time I can do better and I'm just aware of the situation. Expect, sorry, what was I saying? Especially because he's adapted to those situations. So for example, my, um, a little kid that we're around always calls him the brown boy when he approaches. To me, I didn't see that for the last six, year of our, six years of our relationship. I never brought that up. But now that he brought that up, I'm like, that's a big deal. But he's always just been okay with it and didn't say anything until we had the conversation last week about that. Right? Like he's just always had to adapt to it and couldn't say anything because he then would have looked like the crazy person in front of all of my family members. But we all know that that's not okay. But nobody said anything. I haven't said anything for the last six years. Yeah, that's huge, huge, huge. And then just um, to tie in a friendship relationship, um, Virginia and I, now she's one of my best friends. I needed some recover. She always says I needed shako. I did it, it was recover. <laughs> and I, like we literally, <laughs> we didn't realize that we lived 15 minutes apart and meeting her in a parking lot. Like I wasn't scared and I wasn't like, it was uncomfortable, but then we connected with volleyball. We connected with this, but I want to be honest with you guys and say that as a, I knew she was a super successful white beach body coach. And I knew I wanted to be her friend. It was her birthday. She invited me to go hiking with other white beach body coaches. And I knew I needed to adapt. And then it wasn't until I realized that she was married to Jimmy Scroggins. He's black. I go to her house. I see bridesmaid pictures. I think all of them were black. <laughs> and I'm sitting there like, oh, Okay. Okay. Now, now Mariah can be Mariah. Like now I can be my real self. So I want you to understand that it's not just in a real intimate relationship. It's in a friendship relationship. It wasn't until I realized that Jin went to Hampton university and a historical black college. And I'm like, Oh, and then she introduced me to Alex. I'm like, yes. But I also want you to understand I had that same thing with Tori. Tori was one of my coaches found her on Instagram. She's a rock star, almost two-star coach. And I realized that she is engaged to a black man. Like these are all powerful things where it like gave almost credibility for me to be myself, gave credibility for me to feel comfortable, but that's not always the, a good thing. And then if you sit there and I just want you to briefly give yourself an audit, right? Give yourself personally an audit. When you are doing a picture, inviting to the community is your community showing diversity or is it showing segregation and this goes for both my black friends and my white friends there are times where i honest to god will sit there and be like oh i want to talk about the community and inclusion but they're i'm just surrounded by not, i'm the only black person in the picture and then i'll sit there and be like crap i can't like and i'll have black women being honest with me like I had somebody honestly reach out to me and goes, no matter how many times people invite me to being a coach, I always say no because of this exact issue. There's nothing but white coaches. And I'm like, that's not fair. That's not fair. But then you see amazing black women who have other black women. And then it's like the other side where it's like a white person's like, dang, like 
do I fit? Like, can I do this? So then you have the, the, the stigma almost of like, okay, white coaches go work with white coaches, black coaches go find a black coach and keep it very separated. And that's the point of not just friendships, not just interracial couples, not just raising biracial children, not just in healthcare, it's diversity and equality for all. So I ask you to do an audit check. Are you reaching out to both black, white, brown women because everyone needs this opportunity. Carl Deichler talks about 265 million people in just the US alone that need this. There's a lot of people that need this. There's a lot of humans that need this. So share this opportunity. Talk about the hard things. Be some place that's safety and of inclusion. And then for friends that of mine personally and professionally, if you are the person that's like, no, I'm not racist because I have a black friend. I want you to understand that that does not include you in not being racist. And it doesn't mean that you are anti-racism. And if you are exhausted, if you are feeling tired and fatigued of this conversation or the conversation of race, and you just want it to go away, I want you to also know that you are part of the problem because you've been exhausted for four days. Black people have been exhausted for 401 years. So I want you to feel exhausted. I want you to be tired of talking about it because then maybe you will change. Mm. One of my friends on an open call, on an open forum, sat there and said, and I shared this in a post if you guys wanna read it more specifically, she's a dear friend of mine. We talk almost every day. And she said openly, well, now I feel like my glasses are on. Now I feel like I have glasses on. I thought, thought that I could see, but now my glasses are on and I can see definition and color and hues and I can see the fine lines that I was missing before. So I let everybody kind of be like, yeah, that's how I feel. I have my glasses on. Well, let me share with you. In the third grade, I was told that I need to wear glasses. My mom got me Steve Urkel glasses, guys. I looked ridiculous. Like, like I mean, sir, like, it was ridiculous. I know my sister and my dad are on. Y'all did me dirty. I looked crazy. Crazy. So I'm sitting in class, and when I got made fun of, when it became uncomfortable, when I was tired of being picked on, you know what I did? I took my glasses off. And I didn't see as clear. So I'm asking you, if you are one of the amazing people that say, now I have glasses on and I can see, now don't take them off, even when it's hard. Now don't take them off, even when it's uncomfortable. Now don't take them off when they're not popular. You won't always be popular standing up for stuff like this. You will lose family, you will lose friends. And that is a very hard place to be, but it is the truth. So I just wanted to share that with you. Keep those glasses on at all times, not just when it's the popular thing to do. Because yeah, many of you posted your black square, but in six months from now, I wanna go to your account and I wanna see if you're talking about what you talked about on June 2nd. I wanna see a year from now in 2021, if you're still talking about this issue. Because then if you're not, I know you took your glasses off and it hurts my heart. So now, um, as two women expressed uh, being in an interracial couple, now I kind of want to talk with Lee about raising biracial babies and being biracial women and the, and the, not the product of your guys's relationship, but kind of, you know, you know what I'm trying to say, like, they're not going to make us, but like, they're going to make biracial children. So, okay. <laughs> Thank you go. Um, so what I shared with you guys earlier you as if you are in an interracial couple or if you know uh, a mixed baby in your life um i had a difficult conversation with my mom and my mom called me and she loves both of those girls and she was like upset she's like mari why didn't you tell me why didn't you tell me that you had to deal with this why didn't you tell me that i need to be more aware when i have the girls why don't why didn't you tell me that you like you would say some things but you never said anything and I said, mom, and I brought up a conversation. So Tori first moved from Iowa and came to um, Arizona and she didn't have any family. So I asked my mom, I said, hey mom, is it okay that Tori um, brings her and her fiance and en enjoys Thanksgiving dinner because she doesn't have any family? My mom didn't think anything of it because she would say, I don't see color. I've educated her on how she can't say that. But John was like, hey, is this Mariah's black family or is this Mariah's white family? Which one is it? 
Like it's a conversation that needed to be had, but a lot of people don't realize why it's being said. And me and Tori talked about it. She's like, I didn't think anything of it. I'm like, I know why he asked me that. So it's like understanding that you might have mixed friends. You might have black friends. You might have white friends and making sure that you understand what is and what is not okay. I'm just going to, you guys are going to laugh and you're going to think it's funny, but me and Jen have had multiple conversations. Don't touch people's hair. Just don't touch people's hair in general. Just don't do it. Just, just don't do it. There's a lot of women that will be like, and I've given safety to Virginia to ask questions and, and feel safe with me. And she will see a mixed girl and be like, you know, is she mixed? Is she not? Her hair's different than yours. Like, and I allow her to ask questions. There's times where I'm like, Jen, Lord have mercy. I'm praying for you. But I give her the space because she doesn't know what she doesn't know. Right? Like even just looking at me and Lee and Alex, Alex has beautiful braids in her hair. You will not see me ever walk around with braids. <laughs> there you go. You will never see me walk around, <laughs> walk around with braids in my hair. But that doesn't mean that my hair is a weave. I've had multiple women be like, you know, is your, is your, I just saw your hair curly. Like, did you, did you cut your hair? Is that a weave? Is that fake? Is that extensions? Can I touch it? Can I pull it and make sure it doesn't come out? Like, these are questions that are asked. I'm asking you not to ask the questions unless you're in a safe place to ask the question, honestly. But I, you don't know what you don't know, but don't, don't ignorantly go into a room of strangers and just be like, so is your hair real or is it a weave? Like, don't do stuff like that, right? And as a biracial woman, I understand, and I want you to understand as, a, as, as people who might be interacting with biracial women, it's hard for us to feel like we fit because like Lee was talking about my doctorate, I wanted to be white. And me and her have had these really hard conversations within our house of she's been talking about this since we've met, since we've met. And I've always been like, Oh my God, here she goes again. I don't want to talk about this. Like I don't want to. And then I would just be like, Oh, here we go. Like, and she has these wonderful shirts with like, Rosa Parks on and all this other stuff. And our five-year-old had asked the question about it yesterday because she was wearing it. And I'm sitting there like, now I get what you're saying, but this is the thing. I was on the spectrum of, I was just trying to be white. I just wanted to fit in where I was welcomed. I wanted to fit in like I didn't have to prove myself. And I'm going to be honest with those of you who are on the black um, Beachbody page and many white people are going to be like, what? There's a page? Yeah, there's a page within Beachbody where it's nothing but black women and Beachbody coaches. I'm going to let you know right now in the last three days I've been posting in that page and I have been more afraid to post in that page than I was to send Kim Fitzpatrick or Melanie Mitchell or Amy Silverman this invite. I was more afraid to post in that page than anything else, but that's my own internal issues. I know that about myself. Where Lee would be like, that's the first place, place I would post that. Like, let's, let's go, let's cheer each other on. Tangie's like throwing her head. Like, that's a place where it would just be like, we would feel united. Where I'm like, crap, like, am I welcome? Like, am I black enough? Do I fit in enough? This is for, like, this was in the last three days, guys. This is an everyday issue. So as a biracial woman, understand we have different struggles where Alex is like kind of on the spectrum where she says, you know, I was comfortable being more around white women because like that's how I adapted, but she still felt comfortable. I'm saying the same thing as a biracial woman. We just come at it from very different angles and just being aware that some people can feel not black enough or not white enough, but really it's just at the end of the day, do you bleed red? Are you a human being? is this about equality? Yeah, we have different hair. I know that I'm going to be at Jim's house and Tori's house when they have their babies and I'm going to help them learn how to do their hair. That is just a normal thing. It's just, it's just what's going to happen, right? But I also want you guys to understand that this is about unity and equality. I could talk about that. What's up, guys? Thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of the Your Life Matters podcast. I'm so grateful that you're here. I just ask that you share this episode with somebody. I ask you to just share it and give it to somebody who could potentially need to hear this message. I really am on a mission to help hundreds of thousands of people to believe that their mess 
is their message and that their story really does matter and that above all, their life matters. I'm so grateful that you're here. I want you to share this episode. And then on top of that, if you could please leave a rating or a review or both, let me know what speaks to you. Let me know what you need to hear. Let me know what you've connected with, because that's going to be the best way that I can make sure that I'm giving you guys exactly what you need. I love you guys with all my heart and so grateful for you. And I want you to know the difference and the impact you guys make in my life. I love seeing your messages. I love seeing when you guys private message me or screenshot it and share it on Instagram or Facebook because it lets me know that this podcast is doing exactly what it was meant to do. And it's to make sure that there's an impact being made and to help remind you and everyone else that your life matters.